Hello, and welcome to another episode of our podcast recorded at the Seventh-day Adventist Church of Adairsville. I'm Jared, and we're delighted you're listening. But if you're ever in the area, we'd be even more excited if you dropped in to say hi and enjoyed some good Southern food with us. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about an idea that I'm pretty passionate about, learning that is not learning. Now, we could probably quickly start to talk about education that is not education, but I want to specifically talk about this idea when we are in circumstances where we're learning things, we can learn those and apply them later in life. But there are times when we learn things that we need to unlearn, and there are other times we're learning things of how not to do something. And I want to talk through that this morning. We're going to be looking at the early life of David in 1 Samuel and three particular lessons that he would have learned in the early years of his life that all came needed at a pivotal moment. So we'll go to 1 Samuel right around chapters 15 and 16. And I'll, I'll set the stage. Uh, Saul is a good-looking, tall individual. Israel has expressed... We just don't like being peculiar, unique, trusted with the oracles of the universe. We want to be common like the people around us. We're tired of eating funny and all these different things. Just let us be like our fellow neighbors. So God says, okay, that's fine. Samuel says, no, this is terrible. And God says, nope, if they want a king, I'll give them a king. And they will see what it's like to be ruled by a human. So Saul becomes king, and not long after, people realize this was a giant mistake. Saul begins to do things on his own, and he disobeys what God told him to do. And so that's where we find the beginning of our story here. God has told Samuel, I have rejected Saul, we're moving on. And we're moving on, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to anoint a new young man to be king of my people. And so Samuel has been told this news. It's very awkward for him. He's crying and crying. He cannot believe this has happened. And God tells him, stop crying, get up. You're going to go anoint the new king. So he's on his way. He doesn't want anyone to really know this because this is quite awkward for him. Scripture tells us he doesn't want anyone to know. So God says, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to make a sacrifice in a certain village. You're going to take a red heifer, or a heifer, and, and you're going to go there, and you're going to sacrifice, and I'm going to show you some individuals. You need to invite them to this sacrifice. So he finds his way to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has eight strapping, handsome sons. And that's where we pick up our story Samuel has entered Jesse's house in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked, this is talking about Samuel, at Eliab. Eliab is the oldest of Jesse's sons. And Samuel says, wow. Now we have some commentary on this, that this was the oldest son and he was the best looking. And Samuel says, surely... The Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, 
do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the, what? Outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, so this is a very interesting lesson, one we often forget. Uh, naturally, we as humans judge things by the surface. I don't think this, this verse is particularly dealing with right and wrong yet on that thing. I, I truly believe it is, this is a truth, and you should know it, Samuel. Humans judge by if the grass is cut short. They drive past the church, and they can't hear what we're discussing inside. They judge the landscaping, the paint, are the windows broken? We judge when someone comes uh, around us and they're dressed like a slob. We say, oh, they can't be that important. And if they're dressed in a suit and tie, we think, oh, well, they might be important. So this is the lesson that God is telling Samuel. Hey, I judge differently than you do. I understand this is a tall, good-looking young man, and having seen Saul, you'd think, this is the guy to replace Saul. But keep looking. So Samuel says, okay. So Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made, and Jesse starts to see all seven sons, as verse 10 says. And the Lord had not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? You, know, you imagine what, what Samuel's thinking. This is awkward. The Lord brought me to your house. You've just shown me all your sons. Is this everybody? And Jesse says, well, there remains yet the youngest. There he is. He's keeping the sheep. Now think about the context. This is, this is the prophet of Israel. They're clearly there for something very special. And Jesse brings his seven sons in to meet the prophet. And then the awkward moment comes where Samuel says, no, nope, there's none of these guys. You got any more? Well, I mean, we got David, the runt, out in the pasture with the animals. So that's where we go. And Samuel said to Jesse, send, bring him. We will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was, listen to what the Bible says, he was ruddy, bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. This is the one. And Samuel and, and what, um, what Ellen White describes here, this was now done in secret. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. So the town did not know this. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So Samuel's out of here. He has done his duty, his mission. And David has been anointed as the next king. So, David leaves the house, goes back to doing what his job is, caring for sheep. The first lesson that I see here is that the house of Jesse had it, Samuel had it, and we still have it. God judges by the inward nature of us. Man judges by the outward. All right, so remember that. that we're going to see that applied here in a minute. So there's the first lesson. So David now, back in the pastures, David has a lot of time on his hands. His days are spent watching sheep, guarding sheep, protecting sheep. 
all day in the hot sun, probably into the evenings when it gets very cool in the desert. And this is his life. Uh, he's not scrolling through his timeline for 26 hours a day like some of us. He's out there, and what does he do with his time? Well, he does two particular things we start to learn. One is, he begins to become a musician. And he begins to learn to play the harp. And he begins to get very good at this, we find out in a minute. The second thing he does is he has to protect sheep. So turn with me quickly to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and verse 34. So this gives us a background. This is jumping ahead in the story, but this is when David is asked, you know, who are you? What qualifications do you have? Verse 34 says, David says to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me... I caught it by its beard, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And then it goes on. So when asked about, you know, who are you? He says, oh, I kill lions and bears with my bare hands. So there's some qualification. So out in the pasture, though, he, this isn't the daily practice. He's not hunting lions and bears to kill them with his bare hands. This is what he's done. He refers to it. But what David is known as is a term called a slinger. These were warriors that became masters of the sling. Now, it's amazing how we look at stories and we never really get into the nitty-gritty of the historical context. The slingers were perhaps the most skilled warriors. They had a range with their sling of up to a quarter mile. The impact of one of the little, what, what many would start to manufacture, lead bullets, but small round stones, the slingers had an accuracy of about 130 yards with the accuracy of a 44 Magnum handgun. So you picture, if you've ever shot a gun or seen someone shoot a gun, or can imagine it, at, a, at 130 yards, 400 feet-ish, they could hit a coin with the sling. And we'll talk about it in a minute, but who's the underdog in David and Goliath? Okay? All right. So, so that's the skills he has. I can play music, and I'm the best of the slingers. Because all day long, I'm just practicing. And when my arm's a little sore, I'll play some more music. So here's, here's the second lesson we learn here. It is often off-screen, when no one is watching that God is preparing us for what's next. It's often in the valleys where we think, why am I wasting my time at this job, doing this thing? This is meaningless when God is preparing us for what's coming next. No one notices David has these skills until it matters. Let's look at the first example of when it matters. So he's very talented at the harp. If you've ever heard a harp, it's a very relaxing instrument. So let's go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14. 
Saul has been told that the Spirit of God has been taken from him, that the kingdom will be torn from him, that his descendants will not be the royalty of Israel. God's going to give it to somebody else. This is troubling. His whole life is in chaos, and there are times when something begins to happen to him. The commentary tells us that David began to witness this was not a happy home. This was trouble. This was no fun to be around. You ever been around a person or people where it's just stressful and you just can't wait? And commentary says he couldn't wait to leave. So here, here it is. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you would think God is often sending good and evil. This was their understanding. We have the blessing of the entire scriptures and understand clearer than perhaps anyone, Seventh-day Adventists do, there is a war between good and evil. That the best of friends in heaven became the worst of enemies. So when I read this, I don't believe the Lord sent him a distressing spirit. I truly believe, as you've probably heard testimonies before, if you listen to certain types of music, your attitude gets depressed. If you've ever been a teenager or been around teenagers, there's music we've listened to as teenagers that makes us angry at parents usually and often at friends. You add in the recipe of social media and you have why we have an epidemic of depression among a generation of teenagers. So, Saul is depressed. And the only thing, we also know this, that positive music can ward away depression and even evil spirits, as we read here. Here we go, verse 15. Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is, skillful, who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So they knew this. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well. Bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. I think that's amazing that some uneducated boy from the pastures has such a resume. So this is his reputation, and they send for him. Verse 19, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Now, I have a question for you parents. Uh, you understand that the king has been rejected by God, and your child is the next king, and now the king is sending for your child. Any fear and trepidation? So Saul sends for David. Send me your son David who's with the sheep. And verse 20. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul, stood before him. He loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Now think about this. A skill that had been developed off screen gives David the chance to be in the court of the king. My question is, was it to learn how to be king? Or was it to learn how not to be king? Now, anyone that's had a job, you've 
at one time or another probably had a coworker or maybe even a boss that you thought, I could do this job so much better. I can't believe they're in charge. This lesson here shows me that there are times when God brings us into a situation to teach us what not to do when we get the opportunity to lead. And we never look at that side of the coin. Because often in those situations, it's very painful. But in this situation, David is playing his harp. Remember the commentary says he can't wait to leave. Why? Because the house is crazy. They're screaming at each other. It's stressful. Saul is a depressed person. Oh, I wish I wasn't here. But I'm playing and I'm watching and I can't wait to leave. And we learn this is how he began to learn how not to be king. So that's the second lesson. God's teaching us things, and sometimes he's teaching us what not to do. So the story goes on. It says David comes, and uh, he begins to play for Saul, and this is Saul's go-to source of medication when he's depressed. Music. Positive music. So we've got a few lessons. The first one, we judge by the outward appearance. God judges by the inward appearance. The second, oftentimes we're learning things, God's preparing us in places where we feel like no one cares, no one's noticing, but God is preparing us for what is coming down the road. And then this third lesson, we're often led into situations, if we ask the Lord to lead us, and he's going to show you, take a real good look at this. This is exactly not how you manage a company. This is exactly how you should never pastor a church. This is the worst example to be a deacon or deaconess, or even, hey, sometimes we go around people, this is what not to be as a husband, not to be as a wife, not to be as a child, not to be as a parent. We get in these situations where God is saying, please pay attention, don't do this. And those are awkward moments. So taking all those lessons... Now we get to when they all matter in David's life. So here we go, 1 Samuel chapter 17. This would be the defining moment in David's life. We'll pick up the story in verse one, uh, verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The way we understand this story is there was a valley with a stream or river or creek running through the middle of it, probably a creek, a crick maybe here in the south we'd call it, and uh, there's these two hills, and the battle would have to, they'd have to go down to start the battle or go up the other side. So it really almost suicidal for one of the armies to just start running down the hill, going across the little bit of water, and up a hill. So that's where we find our situation. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named, what was his name? Goliath. We use this terminology in sports and business and life, that there are giants. Okay, so here's a giant, Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Some estimates put that at nine feet tall. So we have some basketball players, seven foot-ish. A Goliath uh, may be in the nine foot range. 
Many believe that, uh, as other giants in history, there is a tumor on the pituitary gland that causes abnormal growth. We found this in different giants in the last 50, 100 years, people that are exceptionally large. Uh, that often can affect your vision. Now, that's not exactly, that may not exactly be the case with Goliath, because we know there were giants in the land. We know his brothers were also giants. But that is something that some believe could have been the case. So, uh, it says he had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, like fish scales, all laid on top of each other, so nothing could penetrate the armor. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Uh, the estimate I saw was about 156 pounds of armor. He had uh, bronze armor on his legs, a bronze javelin between his shoulders, so maybe he was carrying it back here. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And then notice this. A shield bearer went before him. It's interesting that a warrior needs someone else to protect him. These are some good details. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Another key detail. I'm not coming to you. He's going to have to come to me on my terms. Come down here. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. This is a big deal. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. So this could have been a defining moment in the history of Israel and God's people. One of these nations would become the slave of the other. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man and we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly what? Afraid. This big scary giant is threatening us. And they have clearly forgotten that God is bigger than the giant. Now David was the son of that Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he begins to go on and tell us who David is. Let's go down to verse right about 20. David is asked to go visit the camp. Take, go visit your brothers. Take them some goods and foods. And it says, David came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array army against army. David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. These younger brother and older brother stories in the Bible are always interesting because the older brothers don't like the younger brother. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. He spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. You'll notice this is a pattern. The Bible says every day for 40 days, this began to happen. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, to give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And I guess at different stages in life, there's different motivations there. Saul tried to cover the gamut. 
You don't like taxes? Here's your bonus. You want a wife? Here you go. So it says in verse 27, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother takes issue with David. Why'd you come down here in verse 28? Who'd you leave the sheep with? I know your pride. You came to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. These people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they were reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. This teenager now is being brought before the king. What's fascinating here is this is the same individual who's been playing in the king's court. Saul doesn't have a clue who he is. We learn later. It shows you in leadership, or sometimes people think a lot of themselves, and they don't remember you after they've met you one, two, three, ten It's like, come on, I have a name. Come on, we've seen each other. Okay, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. And then those verses, David says to Saul, I used to keep my father's sheep, and and when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, I struck it, I delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. I've killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go and let the Lord be with you. Or we would say, Good luck, bud. Or maybe Saul would have said, Bless his heart. Go on. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. Does any of that sound familiar? Who has all that on in battle? Goliath. Well, if you're going to face a giant, you have to do exactly what they do. Dress like them. If you're going to compete in business, if you're going to be like the church down the street, you have to do exactly what they do. That's the only way you succeed. And so David's like, okay, Saul, because what does Saul do? Saul judges by the outward appearance. He's taller than us. He looks like this. Let's do as best we can and and compete on his terms. He's asked you to come down to him. Go down to him. So David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, Ellen White says he came back. He says, "I I can't do this. The Bible says, I cannot walk with these. I've not tested them. So David takes them all off. Now everyone's like, oh no, this is a problem. He took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. So now David is walking towards the giant. Puts him in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. So Goliath, being slower, is probably walking slowly. Okay, what do we got here? They're finally sending a man down. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy, and good-looking. That's funny that these are the things that Goliath notices. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? This is where some commentators say he had this issue because David has one stick 
and a sling. And with this pituitary disorder, it could have been that there was vision issues. And that was also a reason why he had a shield bearer. He can't run and fight. Like, they have to come to him. I can't even see what I'm fighting. But I'm big enough, I'll beat you if you come to me. So he says, you got sticks, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. It's amazing, three weapons. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. As children, we were taught this story, and often we read this and think, oh, David was so cute, so courageous, and such faith in the Lord. And, and I think sometimes we can look at that presumptuously, that he really believed, I've prayed a few times in the last few hours, and God's going to totally do this for me. But there was something that David knew that Goliath was not clear on. And that was the weapons in the battle. Now David is giving credit to God, preparing him for this moment. But in this moment, I, I believe David is not fearful at all. Because of his faith in God, but also, I'm a slinger. You're there with a baseball bat and a sword, and I have a gun. This is not a fight. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike and take your head from you. Okay, so then it says, Then all this assembly shall know the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. So here's something else about giants in our lives, and particularly this giant. Goliath was full of pride. Full of pride. And I love it when we can find out the commentary in Prophets and Kings, when it says, He was so furious that you sent a kid out to kill me. He takes his helmet and he pushes it up. It's almost like when you're like, I'm not, I don't even care. And David, with his handgun sling, says, bingo! And he begins to run right at Goliath. And it says here in verse 49, David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it around, and over, at over 150 miles an hour, aims right at his target, which he knew he could hit. And the commentary says it went through his skull. I think as a child, I always thought it was... No, it was a bullet. And Goliath fell straight down. And the rest of the story is not G-rated, what David does next to Goliath with his own sword. But these are the things that start to play out in the story. David did not judge by the appearance. When everyone else saw Goliath, this big person who was scary, 
David thought, he's slow. I'm a slinger. God's prepared me for this. We've been trusted with the oracles of heaven. And he's just got some big, slow instruments that he can swing around. I won't even get close to him. But all of his people, all of his peers, you're crazy, David. I don't know why you're doing this. This is a suicide mission. David has learned the lesson of, no, don't judge by the outward appearance. He's also learned through some very slow and boring moments in my life, God was preparing me for this very moment, and I can see it all now. I found favor with the king. I've learned some things. I've now gone into the king. He's allowed me to even do this, because think about the risk everyone took. Whoever lost this battle became the slaves of the other people. So there was a little reputation that David had with, well, give him a shot. And it might have been desperation. So David has learned things in life that he's now applied now. And then that last one, he's been learning what not to do. Don't let circumstances master you. While everyone's afraid, he's not afraid at all. He's confident in the Lord. He's sharing his faith. He's saying, hey, guys, don't be afraid of this. I've learned that you can't always go on the terms of what someone else says. He's learned what not to do. When Goliath has insulted the pride of Israel, come to me. That's exactly what they were playing into the hands of. Play on Goliath's turf. And in this very moment, all the circumstances line up. The pride of Goliath raises his helmet, and when you see some of these old drawings of the helmets, there was protection down here, there was protection over here. It would be very difficult for David to have any chance in this fight if he didn't get a moment of opportunity. But when he got that moment of opportunity, he seized it. So as we look at our lives, I'm sure there's many parts of this story, I know for me, that are very appropriate. Moments you go through, why am I here in this situation? This, they look successful. We're not. Why, why am I in this situation? I feel like I could do a better job than the person around me. Or it's just the general giants we face, and we don't know what lessons we can learn. We can easily look in the world today and think, the Seventh-day Adventist church, Christianity is failing. That would be an easy thing to assume. That the Philistinian armies all around us are growing, that our young people are leaving the church, and woe is us. But when you realize that there's a lesson that God is often up to something that we're not seeing. He hasn't forgot about the battle. He hasn't forgot about us. And he's continually looking to prepare us for what he has in store for us. The trick is, are we patient enough to wait upon the Lord? And that's where sometimes it takes those trials in life that grind us down, that often discourage us. Perhaps there could have been complaining in David's life. Why do I just sit out here in a pasture, playing music, throwing the sling, when this defining moment gives him all the educational experience for the rest of his life? Because Saul says, who is this kid? Go find out where he's from. And Saul literally recruits him Lead some of my armies. And then the unfortunate part was when the songs of the ladies and others start to say, 
Saul has killed thousands, and David his tens of thousands. But these were all preparing moments for what God had in store for David. So as we look at these stories in Scripture, I think they can be very appropriate for our lives today. And these are the things that should give us hope that God is with his people, has not forgot them, in the midst of a world of giants. Thank you for listening. For more messages and food for your spiritual life, go to adairsvillesda.com.